pray for these young men and young ladies who stand before me. I pray that, Lord, you would protect them, that you would bless them, you would keep them from the enemy who would trick them and trap them and try to drag them down and destroy their lives. Lord, we pray that won't happen for them because you will be around them uh, as, a, as a huge wall of protection, that you would be their high tower, that you would be their shield and buckler, that you would be the one who would watch over uh, these young people, God, and help them to, to be grateful and thankful for the fact that Jesus came to this world and died for them and for all of us that we can have eternal life by putting our faith in him. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead to your class. All right. So remember those holidays, including her birthday. All right. Good deal. Matthew chapter 5. And it's good to see Denise and Neil. Neil, glad you're getting right with God and came back to church. Uh, I've been praying for you. And uh, good to have uh, Nate and Hope, uh, uh, Nate and Joy. Faith, hope, and joy. Okay, all of you back. Good to be here. Uh, Thanks for coming. If you're a visitor here at First Baptist Church, we're so thrilled to have you with us today. And we're studying in the Beatitudes, attitudes that ought to be. Beatitudes, attitudes that ought to be. And we look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Let me read it for you. Blessed, the Greek word for the word that's translated as blessed in English is makarios, which means happy. So there's not doing there's not no injustice to saying happy are the merciful and the word for merciful means literally compassionate for they shall obtain mercy and then he says blessed or happy are the pure clean in heart and the word for heart is cardia we get cardiac ward and uh, cardio for training for your heart uh, to, to make it strong. Uh, blessed are the clean in heart, cardia, thoughts and feelings, for they shall see God, theos, the deity. Now, some people think that sometimes I'm too in your face about or confrontational when it comes to calling sin, sin, especially in today's world. And um, they think we should be subtle and more tactful and maybe like Jesus in Matthew 23 when he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful on outward, but you're so full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So we can look okay on the outside and really be bad on the inside. And, you know, Jesus said that. That that wasn't necessarily real tactful, but it was true. John, in Matthew uh, chapter 3, verse 7, John the Baptist said, When he saw the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Both Jesus and John are pointing, pointing out that what is on the inside of us this morning is more important than how we appear on the outside. You can appear to be happy and not be at all. You can look like a Christian, whatever that means, and not be one at all. We can claim to be religious. In fact, my theory is the whole everybody claims to be religious. Some people's religion is secular atheism. That is a belief system. It is a religion. But what's on the inside really is what counts. If you are a born-again child of Almighty God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, then you are not of this world. You're otherworldly. My wife has a bumper sticker on her car. I had one on mine. Uh, I think I still do. In fact, not of this world. Uh, my citizenship is in heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got dual citizenship. 
United States of America and heaven, and uh, I'm looking forward to living in, in with the Lord forever and ever. Our happiness is not supposed to be determined because we're otherworldly by people, by possessions, by places, by circumstances, but rather by our relationship with a person, and that particular person is Jesus the Christ, the Redeemer, Redeemer the Messiah. Now, we have learned so far in our study the last couple of weeks uh, that those who are truly happy are those who are bankrupt. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe you've gone through bankruptcy. You said, preacher, it wasn't a happy time for me. I'm not talking about financial bankruptcy. I'm talking about being poor in spirit, which means we are in and of ourselves absolutely nothing, and we are absolutely dependent upon God. And so that's what happy are those who are absolutely dependent upon God. Happy are those who mourn. That doesn't even make sense. If you're mourning, you're not laughing, but the idea was happy are those who are sorrowful over sin, for they shall be comforted. And then happy are the meek, and that was the gentle or the humble, and happy are the hungry and thirsty, those who hunger after God and thirst after Him, He promises He will fill. Now, and these so far are all inner principles. They're all things inside that, that maybe make their way to the surface, but these Beatitudes begin on the inside. So the first four are inward, but the next four are outward. And today, two of the qualities we're going to talk about uh, will make us happy in a heavenly way. And before we talk about mercy, I want us to see this clip. Some of you may remember it. Maybe some of you have never seen it, but uh, let's go ahead and watch this together. anybody there? So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Oh, thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed... (laughs) That you gave it to him? Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry. Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. 
Because you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madam Gino, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. Don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. very powerful example of being merciful to those who don't deserve it. This ex-convict had been taken into the man's home, and to repay him, he robbed him. And as you see, though, the owner of the house not only forgave him, but was merciful to him and gave him more. Blessed are the merciful. The significance of mercy some take this to mean if we are merciful to other people, then they will be merciful to us. And there is some truth because we reap what we sow. But deeper than that is the fact that when we are merciful to others, whether they deserve it or not, that God then is merciful to us. He becomes our benefactor. It, it, this idea of being merciful is an action word. It's genuine compassion with a pure, unselfish motive that reaches out to help others. And those that are in God's kingdom, truly in God's kingdom, are not takers, but rather are givers in the world in which we live. We, we don't set ourselves up above anyone else. We are here to serve others and to stoop to help others who are in need. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, the Bible tells about a Jewish man who wouldn't even help his own parents, was not merciful to them in their time of need, totally ignoring the fact that his parents cared for him when he was a child. His parents fed him. His parents housed him. His parents took care of every need he had. And when his parents had needs, he turned his back on them. Mercy is more than just having pity for someone. When you go by someone on the street corner or someone who, we, we were downtown this last week, and, and I walked by uh, so many homeless people who genuinely were in need. I, I mean, these were not people who go to some corner in a Cadillac, park around the corner, and then stand in a, uh, in a high-traffic area and get money and go home to their nice house. These were people whose, whose bed was a piece of cardboard, whose protection was a, a radio blanket of some kind. And, and so mercy is more than just having pity. Mercy is more than just forgiveness. Mercy is more than even just love. Mercy is an act of doing. When we're truly merciful toward others, we'll somehow figure out a way to help them. Mercy moved Joseph when he could have had revenge. Someone says revenge is sweet, but revenge is not sweet. Revenge is very bitter. Revenge is like as I mentioned, it's, it's a root of revenge is, is bitterness, and it's like drinking poison to get even with someone else. And even if you do execute vengeance upon someone, 
you're left wanting. You're left feeling very empty. And the, and the reward is unsatisfying. Mercy, however, is very satisfying. And when Joseph turned to his brothers and they discovered who he was, and they said, why do He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And so mercy moved Joseph. Mercy moved David repeatedly. Mercy moved the good Samaritan when the priest walked by and when uh, the, the scribe walked by. And neither one of them, though religious, did a single thing for this beaten uh, Jew on the roadside. His own countrymen wouldn't help him, but a Samaritan uh, who were not good friends with the Jews for the most part, who were at odds with the Jews. There was this, this uh, uh, kind of a looking at Samaritans as half-breeds, half-Jew, half-Gentile. Yet that's the very one who stopped and tended to this beat-up traveler and gave him what he needed, bound his wounds, poured in the oil, put him on his own beast of burden, led him to uh, an inn, and paid for the inn and for his food and said, if you spend more than that, I'll repay you when I come back through. It was the good Samaritan. And most of all, it was Jesus who gave mercy. The source of mercy is God. Source of mercy is God. On behalf of those who practice mercy, if we're at the end of ourselves, if we're mourning over our own failures and practicing gentleness and meekness with people around us, and if we're hungering and thirsting after God on a continual basis, He will be merciful to us. Isn't it so that a lot of us want mercy, but we're short in giving it? We're not very merciful when it comes to people on the freeway. Why do I keep bringing that up? I don't know. Maybe God's trying to say something to us. I don't know. We, we want mercy when we make a mistake, but we don't necessarily, we're not quick in giving mercy to others when they make mistakes or when they fail. Jesus said, be merciful as your Father also is merciful. What's the substance of mercy? Physically, it might be giving money to someone who's in need. Uh, maybe homeless, out on the street, unable to feed themselves. Maybe it's giving food. Maybe it's giving clothes. Maybe it's providing a bed. Mercy never holds a grudge. Mercy never retaliates. Mercy never takes revenge. Spiritually, what is mercy? It is inclusive of pity for lost souls. But listen to what St. Augustine said. If we weep for the body from which the soul is departed... And that's what we do at funerals. That's what we do when we lose loved ones. That's what I did when my mom died, my dad died, other friends who have died. We weep for the body from which the soul has departed. St. Augustine said if we do that, should we not also weep for the soul from whom God is departed? It ought to break our hearts at the misery that's all around us. It ought to break our hearts at what's going on in the name of ISIS and what's going on in the name of, 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 of misguided Christians, the Westboro Baptist people, and what's going on uh, in, in the world in general. It ought to break our hearts at the atheism, the godlessness, the, uh, the, the hedonism. It ought to break our hearts as we look into the empty eyes of people around us and know that, that they're on their way to hell. They're on their way to eternity without God, without help, without hope. Somebody needs to get the gospel to them, and maybe it's us. We need to be like Stephen, who, though he was being stoned to death by his own countrymen, looked at them and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We need to be prodding those who err, praying for the lost, and preaching the gospel. That's the substance of mercy. 
Mercy is giving people who are hopeless real hope in Jesus Christ. There's the sequel of mercy. The sequel is obtaining mercy. With the merciful, 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 26, with the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. So if we are merciful, God himself will be merciful to us. Not about you, but I need his mercy because I mess up a lot. And I want God's mercy. So as we get out there, as we leave here in a little while, let's figure out ways to be merciful to people. If your waitress is slow, if you go out to eat and she's not not doing the job right, be merciful. Don't be judgmental. If the food's lousy, be merciful. Don't be judgmental. Figure out ways to show mercy. And then he says, blessed are the pure. And I feel like I need to ask need to have a disclaimer here. I feel like I need to say, God, forgive me for even trying to explain what that means as if somehow I had grasped entirely such a noble position. Staying pure in an impure world is a tough thing. It's a difficult thing. Temptation is all around us. Distraction is all around us. And so I share with you what God shares with you as a fellow human being in need of being pure, asking God to make my mind and my heart pure. What is the context for being pure in heart? Here it is, this, simply this. The Jews of Jesus' day were absolutely lost. They were without hope and without help because they had rejected the Messiah. The keeping of the law of Moses, guess what, was impossible. It was impossible in Moses' day. It's impossible in our day. No one here can say they've kept the Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, as Jesus repeated the Ten Commandments in the New Testament, He not only repeated them, He strengthened them. Because He said, for example, if you hate someone, we're not to commit murder, but if you hate someone, you are a murderer. He says we're not to commit adultery, but if we think in our hearts about such a thing, then we are adulterers. We're not to be idolaters, but if we put anything before God, our Father, then we are idolaters. So Jesus didn't destroy the law. He actually amplified the law, and he showed us by the law that we have a need that we cannot meet. We cannot be pure. We cannot be pure. I don't believe think we can be pure for more than just a few moments. Keeping the law was impossible in Jesus' days. It is today. Keeping the law of the Pharisees was even worse. Whereby there are Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Fitz pointed out a few weeks ago there were 613 laws according to the Pharisees. I don't even have an idea what all those were and don't even want to know. There was the there was a Pharisee in Scripture who said, I thank God I'm not like other people. Somehow he put himself up on a pedestal, put himself on a, in a plane and uh, in, in a stratosphere way above everyone, looking down on everyone else. And the next guy got up and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. He had it right. And if we need to identify with one of those two, I hope we identify with a second one who said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Blessed are the pure in heart. They were lost, so are we, unless we're saved, unless we get saved. All of the Beatitudes work together. There's a flow here. This being bankrupt, we become beggars, goes with mercy. And then mourning over sin goes with pure of heart. And being meek makes us a peacemaker. And so this Beatitude is right where it belongs, right in the heart, right in the middle of the Beatitudes or the attitudes that ought to be. 
There are basically two religions in the world. Really, it boils down to two religions based on human achievement or based on divine achievement, one of the two. You either believe you can get there or if there's a there to get to, you can get to by your own good works. There's this giant scale in heaven and one day when you die, all of your good works will be piled up on one side, all the bad works pile up on the other side. Whichever side wins out, that's where you go. Human achievement, I promise you, you won't make it. But there's divine achievement. What Jesus Christ did for us, what God did in sending His Son, what the Holy Spirit does in coming and knocking on our heart's door and getting us to turn to Him. What we couldn't do, He did. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Mila's dad has had a pacemaker installed and soon he'll, uh, in two or three weeks, he'll have a, a valve replacement. Is that what it's talking about, having a pure heart, the organ within our chest that pumps the blood? Not at all. When Jesus spoke these words, blessed are the pure in heart, he was talking about those whose thoughts and emotions were after God, a changed heart. The wisest man who ever lived said, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The things that you love will determine how your life is. Isn't that true? The things that you love will determine the direction of your life, will determine the choices that you make. One of my favorite verses that Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. I don't care how good you look on the outside. If you think like a thief, you're a thief. If you think like a liar, you're a liar. If you think like a godless individual, you are a godless individual. As we think in our heart, so are we. And what we think about is what governs our actions and attitudes through the day. David, a man after God's own heart, who had a lapse of judgment and sinned against God and sinned against Bathsheba and sinned against Uriah, finally gets it all straightened out in Psalm 51.10 when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So pure, pure heart needs to be cleansed, cleansed from filth and iniquity. <clears throat> it's, it's like a it's like a, a spring cleaning of your uh, of your heart. It's like getting in and getting in the corners and getting all the cobwebs out and sweeping up all the debris and mopping the floor and getting all traces of anything that was there gone. It's it's cleaning it thoroughly. And I'm so grateful. The Bible says that if we confess our sins to Him, He's faithful and just, not only to forgive us of our sins, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hey, you want to hear something great? You and I can stand before God one day as if we had never sinned. As if we had never sinned. You know why? Because of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know if they still do this, but when I was a kid, they used to have these, uh, the cereal boxes had cool things on them, like, you know, little puzzles you'd solve. And, and, and sometimes, I remember my, one of my favorite ones was there'd be these red cellophane glasses. That, anybody know what I'm talking about? Thanks, Nick. Okay, all right, a couple of guys, Bob, yeah. All right, and, and, and what you do, there'd be a, a message, but you couldn't read the message because it was all scrambled up, just like a bunch of lines. You put these special decoder glasses on, and all of a sudden, you could, there was the message right there. You could see it. You know what? 
through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we are pure. Through the shed blood, when, 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 when God puts those glasses on, the shed blood of his son who died on the cross for us, and we've received him as our personal Lord and Savior, he looks and he sees Christ's righteousness in us. He sees pure, pure in heart. It also means unmixed, not coupled with anything else, pure, cleansed, not coupled with anything, no addition, no additive of any kind. God wants all of our heart, not just part. God wants all of our heart. How many of you, when you're being romantic to your husband, your wife, say, I love you with 25% of my heart? Yeah, try that. How would that go over? I love you with 53% of my heart. Posted something today. It said uh, it, it's a it's a hundred percent hundred percent. It's not a fifty fifty deal, because if there's a fifty fifty deal, then there's fifty and fifty out there somewhere else. It's a, I love you with fifty percent of my heart. Doesn't make it. God wants us to love Him with a hundred percent, with all of our heart, not just part. Pure motives come from a pure heart. Later, Jesus would teach, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that you value, that's where your heart really is. It's a very revealing thing. He sums it up with this, no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Purity is required. Purity is more than just being sincere. Purity is more than just trying. Purity is just having, is more than just having a good attitude every once in a while. The prophets of Baal were sincere, were they not? They cut themselves. They cried out to Baal. God, uh, Baal, pour out fire from heaven. But they were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. Morality is more. Uh, purity is more than just morality. Morality can, can drown a man as fast as a vice can. A ship can sink whether it's carrying gold or whether it's carrying garbage. So how can your heart be made pure? When we live in an impure world, when every few minutes on TV things come up, maybe every few seconds things come up to divert us, distract us, when there are people in the office who distract us, when there are people at work or people in the neighborhood, when there are situations around us and, and, and the impurities all around, when you have the Internet, for crying out loud, and you have it on your phone and you have it on your computer, how in the world can we be pure? And the answer is we can't on our own. Who can say, I've made my own heart pure, I'm pure from my sin? Proverbs 20, verse 9. Acts 15, 9, for he also cleansed their hearts through faith. And Job said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? Only God can. Well, why is it important, preacher? What's the big deal about being pure of heart? I mean, we live in an impure world, and if we mess up every once in a while, so what? Because of the promise that comes with pure, Purity. For the pure of heart, they shall see God. And you know what that literally means? They shall continually be seeing God. The tense of that construct is they shall continually be seeing God for themselves. Because when this life is over, when we turn our toes up, when we check out, when we're gone, we can be with the Lord forever. And ever. We can live in the very presence of God, and you can know Him, you will sense Him, you will hear Him, you will see Him. John said it this way, we are already God's children, and we can't even imagine 
what we will be like when Christ returns. But we know that when he comes, we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Two takeaways today. Be merciful. Give mercy to those in your own family. Give mercy to those who live next door. Yeah, but preacher, their dogs bark all night. Be merciful to them. Be merciful at work. And be pure in heart. The way you pure heart is by trusting the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? We're not going to sing this morning, but here's what we are going to do. I'm going to ask you to, to ask God right now in your own heart, how you can be merciful, who you can be merciful to. Maybe, as I mentioned, being merciful, maybe you're thinking of someone that you've not been very merciful with. You've not cut them a lot of slack. You've been kind of tough on them. Is there someone that comes to your mind? And you think, you know what? I, I wouldn't want God to treat me like I've been treating her or him. Then would you talk to God about it right now? Would you say to God, God, help me to be merciful. Help me to show mercy. You've been so merciful to me. Help me, God, to be merciful to them. And in an impure world, if you would say, preacher, I really struggle with this idea of purity. My thoughts just... They plague me sometimes. I, I try so hard, and yet I think of things that I ought not think about. I sometimes say things I shouldn't say. I certainly do things I shouldn't do, Lord, and I, I regret them when I do. Would you just ask God right now to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to enable us to be pure as Jesus is pure? And the thoughts and the intents of our heart would be only pleasing to him always. And with every head still bowed, the last thing is the most important thing. This last thing is the most important. If you realize that you need Christ in your life, you realize that you really are not a Christian yet, you're really not saved yet, and you want Christ to be your Savior, the one who he loved you so much, he died on the cross. But if that's you, then I want you to say this prayer to God. And, and I caution you, it's not just saying the words. It's not a fire escape from hell. It's not some magic abracadabra, I'm going to heaven. But if your heart's desire is to know the Lord, then I want you to pray something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I've failed so many times in so many ways. I know I'm not ready to go to heaven. And I believe that Jesus is your son. And he died on the cross for me. I believe he was buried and rose again because the Bible says so. And I ask him right now to be my Lord and my Savior and my God. To forgive me of my sins. And to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, I trust you now as best I know how. 
And I pray in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed for a moment. Don't want to embarrass anybody. If you just prayed that prayer in your own heart and you meant it, God heard that prayer. If you prayed that prayer in a minute, would you raise your hand for just a moment? I won't point you out. I won't embarrass you. Just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Our Father, we're so thankful. We're so grateful for the blessings that you have given to us. Lord, I'm so grateful that you didn't just leave us with the commandments that were impossible to keep. You gave us someone who kept those commandments for us. I'm so thankful you didn't just give us the Beatitudes that, that are out of our own reach humanly without giving us the opportunity of being able through Christ to reach those things. I, I pray, God, for those who raised their hands a moment ago sincerely saying, I just did that. I just prayed that prayer. I'm trusting Christ to be my Lord, my Savior, to forgive me of my sins. I pray their lives would be dramatically different from this day forward, that, Father, you would give them the confidence that you're there for them and, Bible, and bring the Bible verse to all of our minds that if we be in Christ, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We are going to have an excellent song. I'm not sure if you're going to, are we going to sing along? We're ready. We're ready. Okay, so let's stand together. Now, for those of you that raised your hand, I promised you anonymity, and I am a man of my word. I try to be. And so uh, if you would take out of the seat back in front of you uh, a card like this, you could do it when nobody's looking, and you could fill out your name and check the box that says, I just pray and ask Christ to be my Savior. And if you would give that, I would pray for you. We, we are so appreciative of that fact. And if we can be of any help to you, then we want to be. But let's go ahead. This will be our exit song, our last song of the morning. And thank you so much for being in God's house today. Visitors, hope you'll come back and be with us again. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. You're welcome. This is a song pretty much everybody knows, or it's easy to so sing along to if we don't have the words. We're going to do um, Unchanging, Ryan. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. 